Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. You are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, which means you're a member of the Entree Architect community. Join us on Facebook today at the Entree Architect community private Facebook group. It's the most interactive, most supportive, most encouraging, the most positive place on the internet for small firms. Come join us. It's free at entrearchitect.com slash group. My name is Mark R. LePage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 233, and this week I'm speaking with Josh Kunkel of Method Architecture, and we're talking about launching a new small firm as a spinoff from a large firm. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, RCAT. The online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM, specifications, and much more at arcat.com. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. Spend less time on accounting and more time doing the work that you love. And Gusto. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy to get things right. Josh Kunkel, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Hey, great to be here, Mark. Yeah, appreciate it. It's good, good to have you here. Um, as the son of a contractor, Josh grew up on job sites. He even dug the footings for his family's home at eight years old. 
That's pretty. That's pretty telling, Josh. Just, <laughs> just want you to know that. Yeah. Even though and the house was, is still standing, too. <laughs> by the way, so. I have no doubt. Even though he was raised in the country, he fell in love with the city. Uh, he built Legos, connects, and dreamed about Frank Lloyd Wright designs. Josh's passions led him to Oklahoma State University, where he earned his BARC uh, and an environmental studies certificate. Uh, throughout his career, he has worked on a various types of projects from larger institutional hospitals to small agrarian outbuildings and everything in between. Uh, Josh is a licensed architect in Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, and holds an NCARB certificate. He is a partner at the newly formed Method Architecture based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he is also the host of Entree Architect Sessions' Not So Small Firm, which is a monthly video conference session uh, for larger small firms. So sort of firms that are small firms, but are, you know, five members or more, which is what Method Architecture is. And so that's a, that's inside the Entree Architect membership. And so I thank Josh for doing that. Josh, I want to start off with your origin story. Let's talk about how you discovered architecture, what inspired you to come to this profession, and give us the story of the journey to where you find yourself today. Sure. So we kind of got a little bit of a preview there in the intro, but I'm, I'm the son of a, a residential contractor. And so I grew up, you know, being in and out of job sites. I've actually, you know, as I've grown up and got an out, it's actually been quite critical in my development as an architect is, you know, I got to do every single part uh, of what building a house uh, was. And so uh, I've done a little bit of everything in that regards. And I've actually done it. I'm not very good at it, but I've done it. And so that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, we're really what architects do is they bring something that is from nothing to, they bring it to fruition. And so that's where, you know, it, it, it kind of, it kind of, um, came it through school. I took a drafting class in high school and that's really where I learned that being an architect was a thing and that that was actually a career path. So it wasn't until, 11th grade in high school that I actually determined what my path was. Up until then, uh, being from Oklahoma, um, we get a lot of severe weather and I wanted to be a meteorologist and go chase tornadoes and <laughs> that sorts of thing. Um, a storm so, chaser. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, do you, do it's you, actually... Do you still do, do you do that at all? I, I've done it before. Yep. It, it's a quite the rush. Um, yeah, now you're a dad. You don't uh, do things yeah. like that. <laughs> no, but someday we'll take them out and, yeah. and, and go do that too. They didn't, some of them would enjoy it. Um, so yeah, it's, um, really my passion got really ignited in high school. And then I went to Oklahoma state university because that's where my teacher had gone. And it's interesting because most people actually do this big elaborate search and Mine wasn't very elaborate. I just went where my teacher, his alma mater, and that was it. There was no searching. And so I just applied. I got in, and away we went. Um, so that's uh, so a little bit about me. My wife and I, we actually were high school sweethearts, and we got married and then went to college, bought a house. We fixed it up while we were in college, which 
um, was again, very stressful, but it was worth it in the end. Um, and so then whenever we graduated, uh, I graduated from architecture school, we found out she was pregnant with our first. And so that kind of, my wife went to school for interior design and we graduated in 2012. Uh, coming out of the recession, it had not quite recovered in Oklahoma because we experienced it late. And so she worked, uh, at, there was no interior design jobs available. There was only one architecture job available and luckily I got it. And so thank goodness, most stressful month and a half of my life ever trying to get a job to support my fa- my now young family. Um, but it, 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 you know, it worked out and that job led me to, um, some very large, uh, institutional experience. So, um, by the time that I was, I was not yet licensed. Um, but I was helping lead, uh, uh, five to 10 million project, five to $10 million projects on my own. And so, uh, one of which was a linear accelerator project, which is an extremely technical piece of equipment that, um, treats cancer. And, and so basically the building is a container. It's a concrete container for a, that piece of equipment and the piece of equipment costs more than the building. Yeah. Uh, so it was uh, very, very interesting. And I actually found that I had a, a great love for very technical coordination efforts, full team uh, coordination efforts, because that's what that required. Um, and that's, we'll think on that one a little bit later as we kind of talk about methods, process, and kind of what we've found, uh, works for us as a group. So, uh, I had the opportunity to go work for one after that, I had the opportunity to go work for one of the high design firms in town. And so I took it it was um, a good opportunity. There was a lot of rigor involved um, that was very different than what I had come from being an, a large institutional firm that operated nationwide. This firm was kind of a mid-sized um, design firm that only focused within Oklahoma and Texas. And so there was a, a, quite the culture shift for me. Um, how large was the the new firm? The new firm, they, uh, we were 52 at our peak. Um, and the, the firm that I came from, um, was 2000 or so, uh, of which approximately 200 were architects. So it was a big E little a firm. Yeah. Um, and so through that process, I really found that firm culture was extremely important to me and not just from being in a firm with a good culture, but kind of the actual analyzing of and structuring of how that's actually set up. And so I had actually done, so, um, I was actually laid off from the design firm and then I worked for, uh, uh, another midsize, um, big E little a firm, um, that operated, uh, regionally. And so kind of went back to kind of the middle, uh, in between those two firms and they did, um, they did a lot of, inst- um, high education work. 
And so then again, I got a little bit different experience. But whenever I started at that third firm, I, I actually sat down and listed out the pros and cons of all the firms that I work for and why why I liked those things. And, and so that's just kind of, again, how I operate is a lot of people don't think about those things in that level of detail. They just, oh, I want to go do the work and, you know, I just want to go do good work. Well, I realized that I wanted to be the one to kind of support the others that wanted to go and do the good work. And, and so that was imperative for me to kind of realize that I wasn't going to go out and be that designer uh, that, you know, architecture school kind of trains us all that we're going to go out and be designers and we're going to be drawing all day and have mountains of trace at our desk. And I just I finally realized that that wasn't my path. What, what, so, do, you, what do you think, Josh? Um was it, was it about you that sort of made you realize that it was about the people and the culture that was important to you and the, and the business part of it? What do you have a sense of how that developed within you? Yeah, I think it was, well, I got, um, so during that time, and so we had two children during this process. Um, and so, uh, uh, we also bought a house and completely gutted with our current house, um, is a historic property, uh, a mid-century modern that we purchased and fixed up, uh, while we were having our second child, but <laughs> I was getting licensed at the time and, and, and wait a minute, you were, you so, were renovating your house, having yeah. children, getting licensed, working yeah. for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and carrying all- a whip and whacking yourself on the back every 15 minutes is. Yes, we did all of that at uh, one time. Um, we we actually uh, have discovered that we like to do all of our major life events at once, and so yeah, very we're, efficient. Uh, uh, yeah, I guess you could think about it that way. <laughs> so um, I did actually have to pause from getting licensed um, because I was working thirty. 30 to 480 hours a week in the evenings working on the house. My dad and I actually did it together, uh, which was a great experience. Um, you know, just again, we were doing the work and that was for six months. So I took a break from my licensure for six months. Um, I had also failed my test going into that. And so I had a fire that was building in me to get done because one of the things that I've learned is in order to be successful in, in architecture is that, uh, one, you need to get licensed because that's makes you more hireable. Um, again, it comes out of going to school during the recession. You got to see everybody else lose their jobs. And so then you, you kind of have that always present in the back of your mind is, okay, having a job is priority number one. And so how am I going to have a job always? Uh, And so one of those things was getting licensed. So I got licensed in three years uh, after graduation, which is relatively quickly um, uh, uh, for a person my age. So I was 28 whenever I got licensed. Um, The other thing was learning how to bring in projects that the person who brings in the money is always going to have a say in what their salary is. And they're always going to have a position because that's probably the, 
other than doing the work that's the actually I think that um, bringing in the projects is probably the number one priority of a firm is because if you don't have anything any kind of revenue then you don't have a job you don't you don't have there's nothing to facilitate you even you could be the best in the world at designing but if you don't have revenue then you're you're not going to make it happen and so that ties back into yours profit than art right and, and so you know that's been uh, thankfully for your podcast that's been always present uh, for me and I yeah think we launched at the same time I launched yeah. the, I launched the podcast in 2012 and uh, you were, you graduated 2012 yeah but I actually didn't start listening to the podcast until maybe 2014 2015 it was kind of in that moment okay now I'm licensed what next yeah that's usually when people start <laughs> start listening they start yeah. looking for answers and they find us and so that was kind of uh, that was kind of and so back to your original question of kind of what started that you know it was kind of getting licensed that then it was a it was a lot of inward self reflection yeah. of that yeah. question what's next and what do I actually want to do now that I've uh, because whenever you work for something towards something for three years which is uh, quite a long time at least for me, is that, you know, then you kind of have this void that opens up and you, it was very present, um, for the next year or so. And so it was starting to get into again with your podcast and, uh, and then listening to the business of architecture podcast and, uh, uh, really starting to get into reading business books, leadership books, management books, because I wanted to be a better version of myself. And so, uh, I don't know what the actual, there wasn't an actual flip a switch that flipped. Yeah. It was just kind of a, an evolving kind of growing process that kind of pivoted me in that direction. You, you're, you're an entrepreneur. Do you feel that you've always been an entrepreneur? Not necessarily. Um, so I, I've found that I've always thought about things differently than most people. And so that just, I had to get to a point to where I could figure out how to best utilize that thinking. Mm -hmm. And so this is one of the ways that I can um, kind of, I guess, express myself or use my talents uh, to the best of their advantages was to become an entrepreneur. And so really I'm learning, I, I you know, I, I don't claim to know everything. Um, and actually the more that I get into it, the more that I realize that I don't know. And so it, it, it's, I, I was always building with Legos, you know, I was always creating things I was drawing. And although it wasn't, you know, these beautiful sketch drawings, they were more, tactical kind of just get the thought down and, um, and get it out. Um, and so it was less about the execution. It was more about the kind of cathartic getting it out yeah. and just getting it on paper. Um, so I, yeah. And that's where another thing that I grew up being told is that in order to be an, an architect, you have to draw well. Uh, and you also have to be good at math. And, um, I was okay at math, but I really wasn't good at drawing. 
Um, and so that's something that, again, it's we're being told one thing in school and then it's realizing that there's a, a, a breadth of opportunities yes. that are still within the profession of architecture, that we all have our own individual roles within that. And yeah, my and role has go ahead. My role happened to be that of a, a firm owner. Yeah, and, and there's, there's, kind of, there are positions for everyone, right? We, we, we yes. all have our strengths, and we, we want to be an architect, but that, that term architecture and the definition of architect uh, spans, like, like you said, a, a breadth of, of positions. You don't have to be a designer to be an architect. Yeah. I mean, you could be a spec writer, you could be a technical person, you could be a business development person, you could be you could be that designer or, you know, maybe it's interior architecture, you know, interior design uh, or a host of other things, you know, that, that that there's a lot of different things that you can do. And so that really came into play in, in me realizing that. I really wasn't necessarily about the work and um, pro- actually physically producing the work. I realized that I needed to have others. If I was going to go and do it and start a firm, I needed to have others around me that did those things that were excellent at, at the areas that I was not great at. And so that's really so in the last firm that I worked for, it started with the person that I that hired me. And he was kind of one of those very uh, natural people person. Uh, like he can, he can work a room like nobody else that I know. And he can also remember all of those little small details. And so really looking back, that was kind of the first piece. And so him hiring me was the start of this, what would be uh, ultimately become method architecture. Um, and so working we worked together for three years and um, slowly kind of hired as the need came up and hired the team that we currently have. Um, and and you're, then, still, you're still talking about the, the mid-size, biggie, little a yes, firm, the big, right? So, yep. so it's that and, same firm that you're talking about. Yep. yep. And so we, um, so a little bit about that firm. So it was approximately, it's been anywhere between, during my time there, it was anywhere between 200 and 260 people, of which architecture department represented 10. Okay. And so, I, again, very, uh, yeah. Uh, so, whereas the first firm, we were about 10% of the company, this were only about five. And so, again, having this kind of business focus and this uh, kind of leadership and um, culture and all of that kind of being the things that I cared about. So digging in, it became it, it, it became apparent that they were a good engineering firm, but they were not a good a good architecture firm, and that there was going to need to be a separation at some point. Yeah, uh, whether it was now or five years from now or ten years from now, but. Um, the business models for engineering and, and architecture are very different. Um, whereas they are operating almost exclusively on hourly fees that tend to be open, um, our fees tended to be fixed or based on percentage of construction. 
The other thing was is that their fee was their fee. They didn't share it with anyone. Our fees were shared typically 40 40 to 50% of our fee is going to a variety of other people. And so whenever you have $100,000 come in, they would get to keep that $100,000. We get to keep 50. <laughs> and so that was very difficult for them to understand. And even though that they had had an architecture firm in their, in their office for 10 years. Um, and so really whenever you start getting into the depth of doing your business and how you operate, it, it, it became very apparent that we, there was oil and water. And so those were the begin beginnings of the seeds that were being planted to ultimately came to method architecture. And was, was that happening from both sides? Cause obviously it was happening yes. from you and your, your group, you sort of can, can feel that, but was that also yeah. happening from the, from the company as well? Yes. Um, so it was mutual. It just, it was, and it ended up being mutual. So whenever we, um, so beginning, our office was going to have to move and move locations because our lease was running out. Also, we were in, um, the firm in Tulsa had shrunk from a hundred percent full service firm to just being, you know, we were 15 and, um, we're just only, engineering, civil engineering and architecture, but we were still in the space and paying the lease of a hundred person firm. And so it, obviously that just kills cash flow. Yeah. And so we needed to get out of our space. Well, in looking at that, you know, there was the thought, well, what if they just kind of cut off the office? And so, because, um, the financials were not looking that great. Again, that huge financial burden of our lease space, uh, which we carried for, you know, it, it was too much to bear. And so ultimately, you know, if it were, if it were me, I would have just cut the thing off and been done with it. But, um, so that's where we approached, uh, we, so when you, when a, you say cut that off from their point of view, you would have yeah. shut it down or you would have yeah, spun just, it off and just, just eliminated the office, just shut it spun down it off. Yeah. And, and just let everybody go and just focus on engineering. Yep, just yep. focus on engineering. And so uh, that kind of happened in, partially. So th- we ended up approaching uh, the leadership and saying, look, we know that this isn't working, that, you know, we would be okay if you kind of, if you guys let us go and, you know, we would be okay. And so ultimately they found that to be agreeable. And so, um, they actually, uh, we worked it out to where we took all of our projects with us. And, um, so that was our seed, our seed funding. Um, we also, I was, um, I also pursued, uh, SBA funding, um, through the seven a loan program. Um, and small business administration. Yep. Small business administration. And that loan is for startups. Um, um, and we used it for operational capital as well as getting our office um, started up. Um, and and so, did, did everybody go with you? Was there anybody laid off or did anybody no, leave? No, everybody went. So it was our f- team of four. Um, everybody went over. And then we actually hired a fifth 
an interior designer um, that we had been recruiting for almost a year, but were never able to quite make the hire. Um, and so we were able to hire Adriana uh, right off the bat. And so you, so you launched with five? Yes, we launched with five, which as I'm finding is extremely unusual, um, especially considering our circumstance that we already have projects and um, that most of the team has already been operating together for yeah. a number of years. Um, and so most people start their firms uh, with one person, with themselves. They just get tired and they just quit and go. Or they get laid off in a recession. And that's the other thing. Times are really good right now. There's more work than there are people to complete it, it seems. And so uh, we'll see how long that lasts um, because we know it doesn't last forever. Um, and, and, but we have the opportunity to prepare for that moment that it does crash again. Hey, let's take a quick break to say thank you to our platform sponsors here at Entree Architect. We can't be doing this without them. So let's say thank you to Arcat, FreshBooks, and Gusto. Summer is for being outdoors and going on vacation, right? Not spending extra hours in the office. Well, luckily, our friends at Arcat can help. No matter where you are, maybe on a sandy beach or in a vacation home, or maybe you're working from home on your staycation, well, Arcat has a great tool to help you stay connected with colleagues and clients. Arcat's free service, Charette, allows you to create projects, collaborate, assign tasks, share your thoughts, or simply create a portfolio to promote your firm for free. It's absolutely free. Just like everything at Arcat, it's free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash Arcat and click on the Charette button right up at the top of the page. That's entrearchitect.com slash A-R-C-A-T, Arcat. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with reports, communication, and notifications. And getting started with FreshBooks is ridiculously easy. Most people send their first invoice seconds after starting their free trial. The same goes for tracking time, managing expenses, collaborating with contractors, and viewing financial reports. Fast, easy, maybe even life-changing. And if you need help at any time, free award-winning customer service is just a phone call or an email away. And if you have ever had second thoughts, don't worry. On top of our free trial for Entree Architect listeners, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee so you don't ever have to worry about choosing FreshBooks. So give FreshBooks a try. It's free for 30 days. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and then let them know that we sent you by sharing Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks to access your free 30-day trial today. Payroll and benefits are hard, especially when you're a small business. You don't have time to be an expert in things like taxes and regulations, and old-school payroll providers just aren't built for the way that we work today. Gusto is making payroll, benefits, and HR easy for small businesses. Modern technology does the heavy lifting, so it's easy for you to get it right. No longer do you have to be a big company to get great technology, great benefits, and great service for your team. 
And to help support the show, Gusto is offering our listeners an exclusive limited time deal. Sign up today and you'll get three months free. Once you run a first payroll, three months free. Just go to entrearchitect.com slash gusto. That is entrearchitect.com slash gusto, G-U-S-T-O, and claim your free three months of payroll processing today. RCAT, Fresh Books, and Gusto. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So where, where are you now in, in the timeline? So we okay. are, um, so we launched, um, so we were actually off of Crafton, uh, off of our former firm's payroll, um, May 31st. And so we were fully on methods payroll, of as of June 1st. So as we got into this and this really goes back to doing things with integrity is because we didn't say, well, we're just going to steal all of the projects and go start our firm. You know, we did it, you know, in an amicable way um, because our office space wasn't ready. It didn't end up being ready until closer to July. We were actually able to work in our former employer's office for almost a month. And so, again, it's, you know, that doesn't happen. Uh, and so I, I attribute it to luck. <laughs> well, how, about, um, how, how were the relationships? I mean, something like that had to have, you've had to have had good relationships yes. uh, with the leadership. Everybody was sort of on the same page and said, okay, this isn't yeah. working. We want you yeah. guys to succeed. We want to succeed. You'll succeed better on your own. We'll succeed better on our own. So how do we all do that? How does, yeah. how was that led? How is that conversation uh, first of all, brought brought to the front because a lot of people would be afraid to have that conversation. Yeah, and then and then how did it actually, you know, how was it executed? So um, that was where we had had so myself and Michael had um, who at the time was the VP of architect uh, of architecture in Oklahoma. So Michael and was the I, man who hired you. You correct mentioned before. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then I was project architect, but because of a retirement, I also, I was promoted to project manager and I was basically operations for the firm, uh, for our four people. Um, and so basically we had had some discussions like, well, is, is this even an option? We had no idea how the conversation was going to go. They could have just said, you know, Hey, there's the curb. See you later. Um, uh, um, and, and so we had actually, uh, again, my, back to my planning nature, I had prepared for a number of different outcomes that could have came from that meeting. And so that's where we weren't, you know, unprepared for that meeting when there was actually a lot of prep and scenario planning and all of that for what ultimately may have been a, 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 a frightening kind of day. Um, but it was, so it was brought up. So we actually, um, so Michael, uh, because he was the VP had the initial contact and said, Hey, look, you know, we, we know where we're at, you know, this doesn't appear to be working, you know, let's, let's talk about some options. And so that opened up the conversation. Michael had been with the company for seven years at that point. And so he, um, he 
he was well up in the ranks and so had that had built that uh, rapport with the leadership of the company. And um, I had some rapport with the leadership. Um, our CEO actually did a great job of actually coming and we had seven offices at that point. And so he would actually come and visit all of the offices on a a, a monthly or a uh, biweekly basis, which again is a great thing. You know, it helps keep continuity of culture and um, just again for you can say as an intern or fresh grad, you know, I have a relationship with the CEO of the company. Um, so through that conversation, then it was really talking about, okay, well, we see both sides, you know, what are we going to do about it? And so we actually found out through that conversation that the board had actually talked about it a year prior to where they would just package up the projects and present them. And so the timing wasn't right and the idea got shot down. Um, but it told us that they had been thinking about it and confirmed our suspicions that, you know, that they were really thinking about it too. Um, so from there, we, um, they wanted a go, no go decision. And so we took about a week to actually, we met as a team of four and, and really hashed out, okay, what do we have to do? in order to actually launch the firm. Um, I had actually done some pre-work. I had the, back to my contractor dad, we were kind of thinking about, we've been starting to flip houses. And so we were thinking about, well, maybe we form a, a, a residential design build company and produce projects speculatively. And um, so I'd set up the architecture firm for that. And so we actually had that available um, I was licensed, had certificate of So authority. you had done that separately on your own? That was, that was done uh, approximately a year before on my own. And so it was convenient um, that it was already yeah. set up. You could, you could yeah. use that to launch yeah. the new firm. Yeah, because I was actually, uh, one of the other things that I've learned is that you have multiple streams of income, that not all of your income is just coming from your regular job. And so that was one of the ways that um, I was trying to tackle and getting an additional stream or two of revenue coming in. Um, so we decided ultimately as a team that, yep, we're going to do it. We're going to make the jump. So we presented that back to them. And then the real work began was getting, you know, getting SBA funding rolling, um, getting all of the contracts set up, uh, talking, well, one, talking to all of our clients and saying, hey, this is, this is what's happening, and how do you feel about that? Um, glad to say that all of our clients were thrilled. And um, again, going back to those good working relationships, and um, because everything that we do is about people. So if you take care of people, they're going to take care of you. Uh, and so that's every fiber of our being is, is invested in that approach. And so, so we got our, all of our clients. Now it didn't actually occur kind of how we thought it was going to in that all, but one of our clients would prefer to do uh, what's called a novation agreement, which is basically an agreement that signs over the contract in whole. And, um, so that was the option that we presented and, um, all, but one of our clients said, well, we would prefer 
that you actually operate as a subcontractor to uh, the current company. And so method is subcontracting um, to Craft and Toll. Uh, and so a lot of the reason because of that is because a lot of our work is municipal and education. And so those contracts were awarded through an RFP process. And it was of their opinion, and I do agree with this, that they awarded it to that company. Right. And they didn't award it to method. So yeah, public company, uh, public work gets very tricky yeah. with contracts, and so you don't want to mess around with what was yep. agreed to. And so, and so we were obviously agreeable to that, um, so that we could still have the work. So what what type uh, of work are you doing? So we are actually doing um, we are doing some uh, education work, and we are doing some office work, um, and historic preservation and then we're getting into food service so we were just recent we didn't plan on we knew that texas was kind of on our long-term plan but definitely not our we're getting licensed there in the first month and a half right. uh, plan um, but we had an opportunity come up through a contractor friend that his best friend in high school was um, opening starting a franchise business in texas and that we were the right people to do the job. So, because uh, we have franchise experience uh, from former firms. Um, and so we ended up getting licensed in Texas um, for what could be. So, the company had the franchise owner has one project right now in a high profile location, he has the rights to six other counties. Uh, but he would ultimately like to do 15 locations. The corporate company would like to open 1,100 locations over the next decade. And so we have opportunity to get into with the corporate uh, company um, to kind of help be a preferred vendor and help facilitate their process. Um, so it could be a very large opportunity for us. But it also fits because... It's um, it's a it's a diner that's focused around community, and that's one of the things that we found that's very important to us, is uh, doing projects that elevate community. So how how and so methods now fully functioning? You have yep. the offices up and running now. Yep, yep, we do. Uh, after a month um, uh, set up and uh, waiting for the construction aspect to be done, we do. We have an office. We actually, again, going back to this entrepreneurial uh, thinking, um, we actually took more space than what we needed, and so we have two tenants uh, of that are tenants of co-working tenants of ours. And so we held the master lease, and then we sublease to uh, these two other companies. And that allows um, you for expansion as well later on? Yes. So that allows for us to expand. Um, also, one of our tenants is an architecture firm, uh, a five-person architecture firm. And so what that allows is for kind of strategic partnerships. Yeah. Um, they, they only operate, so they only do Native American work. We do not do Native American work, and so there's no real conflict of interest there. Um, otherwise, you know, that's really one of the only reasons for us that it would work, is that we're kind of in two very different sandboxes. Can you can um, you share staff if you needed to? 
Yes. And we've talked about that. Um, we haven't executed it yet, yeah. but again, we're it gives you some only flexibility a month out. as you grow. Yes. And so that we found, and so this was through some uh, conversations that the, their, their firm owner, one of their owners and I were having over lunch over a period of about a year is that as firms of five and six, that we were missing out on, uh, on $20 million projects because we were perceived as being too small, even though we know we've been on, we have all been on teams that were four or five people that produced projects much larger than that. And so it, 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 we were both kind of struggling to, and I would say that we continue to struggle with, uh, showing that we have more capability because we're a small, lean, mean firm that we can actually produce much more work than what our size, um, would, uh, convey or, we have the strategic partnerships in place to kind of grow during those periods of heavy uh, workload um, uh, to meet the demands of the project. So this would give us the opportunity to go after projects as a firm of 10, uh, where we would be able to, that's where we kind of see that threshold of being 10 to 12 people where clients are comfortable giving a $25 million project to. Right. That's, that's an interesting strategy. What, what is the, um, the structure of method who, like who's running the leadership position and how, how are the responsibilities all figured out? Yeah. So I am, I am right now, I am the sole owner. Um, and so again, and that was because I had already had it set up also the speed at which we needed to work there's less, uh, whenever you apply for, uh, SBA funding, you have to go through a pretty rigorous, um, review process, uh, financial review, but also business review. I had to do a full fledged business plan, um, and all of the projections, you know, really document what we were doing, uh, in order to do that. And one of the things that I found is architects typically don't do that uh, or do them like what a startup would. Um, and, and so architects' business plans tend to be, okay, I go get work and then I work the work. And then that's that's <laughs> that's, that's the end of the business pretty plan. Pretty much it, and I, yeah. And I need to get enough work to support me to do the work. And uh, that's, that's uh, classic. I can hear a lot of heads nodding right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where, again, I had to get outside of, I had to get outside of our industry to actually find uh, the support that I needed to getting that um, business plan set up and going. Where, where did and you this. Where did you go for that? What kind of? So that's where you know I, I like to read, and so I was reading a lot of books on creating business plans and um, kind of getting those efforts set up. I also um, one of my wife's best friends um, and her husband both graduated. Um, with entrepreneurship degrees, uh, master's business uh, for undergrad, and then entrepreneurship for master's. And it's actually like a top 10 program in the country. And so they had some very good input. They provided me with some of the documents. And then it was just a lot of Googling and kind of comparing and contrasting different types of business plans to kind of ultimately pick one, uh, merge several 
into one that was going to work for us specifically. Yeah. Now, honestly, since that effort, I haven't actually looked at that business plan um, since. And so it helped us get off the ground. Yeah. But we have also so um, actually we'll wait on that effort. Uh, our firm is set up. So I'm the sole owner and I am the person dealing with the business side, all of the accounting efforts, the administrative efforts and the, um, um, and then kind of, uh, culture and firm management. Uh, we don't have a project manager currently. And so I'm operating in that role to kind of make sure that everybody is doing the right things at the right time. So you're, you're the sole owner. Everybody else is currently employees. So there's yes. four, four other people, all yep. employees. Um, and that's set up because you had the firm already. You were already the sole yes. employer. Yep. Uh, or, uh, so is there a plan to, to become, to, to restructure or is that yes. the way it's going to stay? Yep. Um, so we actually set up as a, I was set up as a PLLC, which was the advice of my attorney. I have since found out that um, we could have set up as a regular LLC, um, that the state was okay with that, um, but it's fine for now. Um, but it does limit who can be an owner um, because a PLLC, you have to be a licensed professional in order to be an owner. So also with the understanding that we see ourselves as a, a, a national firm rather than just a small local firm, um, it gives us more opportunity to market and has a, we can cast a broader net that can again, go back to how we're going to ride out the next recession is that we can be, uh, not location dependent, um, which seems to be the crux of a lot of firms failures is that they weren't diversified enough, uh, yeah. both in location and discipline in what they do. Um, so we are actually probably going to become either an S corp or a full blown C corp. Um, whenever we restructure that will allow us to have diversity of ownership. It will also allow us to operate more easily, uh, on a national scale and, uh, takes care of a lot of things. There's also, um, getting to be some more advantages right now. It seems to be that from a tax perspective, that LLC is the way to go, but it does appear to be balancing out. Um, but again, the being a C corp allows us to have a diversity of ownership, people that are not licensed professionals, which we will have. So if our marketing person wants to be an owner, uh, I don't want our structure of our organization to prohibit that. Um, because it's, Part of one of the things that I found at the other firms that I worked for is that a lot more people have desire to be owners than what is facilitated. And so you're actually depriving them of something that's a need uh, to be recognized for them. And so this we want to be able to meet the needs of our staff and our team in, in any way that we can. Well, that's that's a I, I love your story, uh, and I know that you Thank have you. I, you have a lot of interesting ideas about how to run the firm in a very yeah. uh, alternative ways and, and innovative ways. I want to bring you back if you're interested. Yeah. I'd love to come yeah. back and talk about some of the innovative ideas that you have for your firm because you're not just setting up a traditional design practice. 
You no. have you have a lot of different things going on over there, and I want to talk about those, but we're out yeah. of time. I have one. I have actually before my yeah. final question, I have one other yeah. question that sort of that sort of triggered when you first uh, when I first introduced you. Your dad is a, is a residential contractor, mm-hmm. um, yes. ha- and so he had his own firm. His own, yes, and so yep. he, he, he was an entrepreneur company. as well. Yeah. So you grew yeah. up in that world. Yeah. Um, yeah. how much, how much influence do you think that your father and the experience of growing up with a dad who was an entrepreneur as well had on you launching the firm that you have today? Well, you really, I, I guess I didn't quite answer the question that puts the finger on that question. So that's absolutely, uh, you know, growing up, you know, my dad had flexibility. Yes, he did work a lot. Um, but we also got to take two and three week vacations too. And so, you know, it's, Another thing that you talk about is that work-life balance, but it's really a work-life integration. Right. And so it's ebbing and flowing as the needs come up. And so that's having three kids with a fourth on the way, uh, and then we're done for sure. <laughs> uh, I promise. Uh, uh, we'll check um, that on the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, it's, it's like today. So today I'm actually sitting outside on my patio one, because it's a great day, but two, because my kids are very rambunctious. They're all five and under. (laughs) Um, but I probably wouldn't have been able to do that in a traditional firm. Yeah. So, and I have the flexibility and we as a team have the flexibility in how we work. Um, and again, you know, for brief, you know, we're all cloud-based and all of our, all, everything that we have is untethered from a server, uh, Google, G, we use G suite, Revit, BIM 360 and everything. And then we have a host of other tools that allow us, us to be, uh, uh what we termed yesterday in our planning session, adaptively collaborative. Um, and that's a term that we're going to start now that we found that term, we're really going to say that, say that again, you, um, adaptively collaborative, adaptively collaborative. Got it. And so that's something that we're going to start out and that's going to be our differentiator, um, is that the way the investments that we're making in technology and process allows us to be, cause look, I've worked, uh, one of our, our interior designer worked on a single project for five years. Like, and that project's not done yet. How much has our industry changed in those, in those five years? <laughs> Hugely. And so the only constant in this life is change. Yeah. And so that's where being adaptable is our absolute most critical skill. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. We're going to, that's a great teaser. Yeah for yeah. part two, because we're definitely yep. going to have you come back yep. and talk about the, those ideas. I know you're passionate about building the firm and how it's going to work. I'm, yep. I'm really excited about what you're doing there because I have a little bit of an in, inside information yeah. over there. So uh, we're definitely going to bring you back. Uh, cool. Before we wrap up, let's uh, ask your, my one final question here. What's one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Learn how to prioritize. One of the things that we found through our, our facilitated strategic planning session was that we were terrible. We were doing a lot of great things, but there was no prioritization of 
what was getting done when or what needed to be done when. And so that's something that we're going to be working on. And hopefully whenever uh, you do bring me back that we can talk about that we've solved that problem and here's how we did it. Yeah, I um, definitely want to talk about that and, 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 the, and the tools that you're, you're going to use to make that happen. Yeah. So one of the, we, we have, we have opened and I've inputted some things into Asana. And so that's one of the program. That's one of the ways that we see that we're going to, how we're going to get it done. Yeah. That's Asana. Uh, it's A-S-A-N-A for anybody who wants to go take, take a peek. Yep. So, uh, yes. So that's at learn how to prioritize. All right. That's Very good. Absolutely. The website, if anybody wants to go take a visit over at Method, it's method.group. Method.com will send you somewhere else. So make sure you get method.group. Uh, on Facebook, it's Method Arch, A R C H O K. So it's uh, Method Arch OK, as in Oklahoma. And Instagram, it's Method Arch. Josh Kunkel. Thank you very much for coming out and hanging out with me here today at the podcast and for sharing your knowledge here at Entree Architect Podcast. Yep. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the opportunity. This is episode 233. So that's the link to share. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 233. Share it on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and Snapchat and email and Tell your friend around the corner, whatever you have to do, go share it, entrearchitect.com slash episode 233. And join us on Facebook at the Entree Architect Community private Facebook group. It is the most interactive, most supportive and encouraging, the most positive place on the internet for small firms. Come join us. It is free at entrearchitect.com slash group. Go do that right now, entrearchitect.com slash group. My name is Mark Arlapage, and I am an entrepreneur architect, and I encourage you to go build a better business so you can be a better architect. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so 
overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> and so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.